0: Uh, if you've got an ESV Bible, the heading is "Rules for Christian Households." Uh, and it's not; they're not rules. So you can cross that out. Don't worry; the titles aren't part of the original Scripture. You're, you, can, you know, you can take that out of the Bible, just not the <laughs> verses themselves. They're not rules. It's they're the result of the gospel transformation in you, in a Christian, in someone who trusts Jesus. Let's let's look at the flow of. The, the logic of the whole book. Because, of course, we don't uh, read these letters or these verses in isolation. They form as part of a wider letter that was meant to be read all in one go. And if you remember when we started the series, Mark read it all in, in completion. It was really good. So, Colossians 2, um, Paul talks about what has happened. What What is the big change that's come about? He says, "...in him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands." Glad I don't need to explain and talk about it now. For your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God, who raised Jesus from the dead. Right? You hear that? It's the the gospel truth, the gospel reality. Our old self, that self that was selfish and self-centered and and, and broken and, and rebellious, That has been cut off. That's been put to death. That's buried with Christ. He bore that on the cross. And so we're we're dead to self, but we're raised with Christ. Paul continues, When you were dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it, To the cross, and so that's that's the context. So Paul says the reality of the gospel: we we're we're dead to self; we've been raised with Christ. And Paul goes on: Oh, what we do we do then? Chapter three, verse one: Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above; set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So the, the result of, of the gospel of, be, of d- dying to self and being raised with Christ is setting our minds on things above. And Paul continues using that language in chapter 3. He says, put to death. Put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, put all that old self who you used to be, that's not you anymore. And so put that to death. Take that off. And he says, put on. Put on, Uh, therefore, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself, put on to yourself compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. This is the character of Christ. So, So people who trust in Jesus... They are made new. Their old self has died. They're made new in Jesus. And so they set their minds on things above. They put off the old. They put on the new. And it's in that context, Paul says, this is how it's worked out in the home. Because gospel transformation begins in the home. And he talks about how the reality of the gospel reflects in how we relate with one another. He talks about wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. So let's uh, look at that. We're going to look at Paul's list, and then we're going to extend out and look at some other relationships uh, that are more contemporary uh, to us today. So I've got a 10-point sermon. No, 11-point sermon. Uh, but that's all right. We'll work through pretty quick. So wives who have died to self, and they've been raised with Christ. They put off the old. They put on the new and put on the character of Christ, uh, how does that reflect uh, in in their lives? It means instead of resenting their husband or belittling him or back-talking or or rebelling, it's they submit to his love and to his leadership. Now, let's be really clear about what that means. Uh, It's interesting that Paul doesn't say obey. He doesn't say obey. He could have. Most other writers of the time, and that cultural um, setting at the time, it was understood that wives obeyed their husbands, just like children and slaves would. Paul doesn't say obey, although he does say obey for kids and slaves. He says to wives, submit, which is putting uh, someone else's needs before your own. And it's a passive command. Now, what does that mean? Let's talk about grammar for a second. This is really exciting. Grammar is important, right? Um, So this is what's referred to as a passive verb. And what that means is every verb has a a subject, someone doing the verb, and an, an object, something that the verb is being done to. A passive verb is where the subject is also the object. So this is something the wife does to herself. She places herself submits herself under the authority and love and, uh, and leadership of her husband. And and, and that's, uh, I like how um, the NIV translates it. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband. This is a command to the wives. He's addressing wives. This is something for them to, to, to do to themselves, to place themselves. This is not a command for husbands. This is not a command for men to use to, to influence or intimidate or abuse their wives, or any women for that matter. This is an instruction for women. To, to, as, as transformed women by the gospel to, to love their husbands by submitting to His love and leadership. And this it's not because it's culturally appropriate, but because it's pleasing to the Lord. It's fitting to the Lord. Now let's talk about husbands. Husbands who have died to self, They've been raised with Christ, they put off the old, they put on the new character of Christ, instead of resenting their wives, instead of um, becoming bitter and angry towards her, instead of being lazy and loose and, and considering what other options there might be out there. No, they love their wives. They love their wives. Now let's talk about grammar again. This is an active verb. See, I really love grammar, it's great. It's important. It's important to be aware of these things. This is an active verb, which means the husband is the subject. The verb is to love, to sacrificially love. The object is the wife. This is something he does to his wife. He loves her. He sacrifices of himself for her and lifts her up. It's not that he he puts himself in a position to seek her needs above his own. Even more than that, he sacrifices of his own needs to, to, to seek and to serve and to love his wife. Paul says, don't be harsh with them. And that, of course, removes any option of, of intimidation and tyranny and abuse and, and any of that kind of behavior. But even, even the, uh, what that verse probably could be better translated as is don't become bitter towards her. Don't become bitter towards her. So don't, don't let yourself fall back in a position where, where you start resenting your wife or you're frustrated by her. Or don't do that. Love her. Be active and committed in love. Let's talk about children. Children. Children uh, who have died to self. They've been raised with Christ. They put off the old. They put on the new character of Christ. Instead of being rebellious and pushing boundaries, seeing how far they could get uh, before they really set their parents off. You know, our culture is... is. Um, uh, Portrays and celebrates rebels and, and that idea of, of, of kids who go against uh, the oppression of their parents and, and portray um, uh, young people as knowing what's best. I think every generation considers uh, that the old, the, their parents' generation doesn't really know what's going on. We're the one that really gets it. Every generation thinks like that. And it's just not true. But that's what our culture kind of portrays and and celebrates. Uh, But the result of gospel transformation in the life of a child is that they would obey their parents. They would do what their parents say. They would seek to honour and to bless their family and be a blessing in that setting. Now, it's interesting that Paul directly addresses children. This was culturally uh, very significant because in this time and setting... Uh, children didn't have a voice. They didn't really have an identity until they became adults and and got married. And so for Paul to actually address them as people and to consider them uh, able to choose what is right and wrong and to encourage them to do the right thing, this is really significant and demonstrates that he, he truly believes that there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female Young or old, all are one in Christ. And so what does this mean for adult children? Uh, In the passage, the word that Paul used is clearly talking about children like young children. So we don't necessarily uh, directly apply this to to adult children. It gets complex, and we'll talk a little bit about what that might look like later. But one thing to consider uh, as you hear instruction and wisdom uh, from your parents And I'll give credit to Karen. I was talking to her earlier today about this. There's something uh, significant about the instruction and wisdom from your parents because they know you more than most people. They, they, They gave birth to you. They raised you. They know what you've been through. They know your personality, what you're like. They've also lived a lot longer than you. And so the wisdom they bring is incredibly valuable and worth listening to. Talk talk about fathers and mothers, parents who have died to self, they've been raised with Christ, they put off the old, they put on the new character of Christ. Instead of being uh, dominating or belittling of their children or harshly punishing without clear communication, Paul says don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't do anything that would push, give your children a reason to resent you or to be discouraged, or to, to walk away from a faith. Don't, don't nag and, and belittle or, or, like I said, um, harshly punish children without communicating why. Don't discourage children away from the faith. And of course, the, the flip side of that is encourage them in the faith. And as, you know, as we grow up and as we become parents, um, the best thing we can do is to be an example for them. Be an example of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be transformed. You know, lots of parents wonder why their kids are leaving the faith. Why are their kids walking away from the faith? But what faith are they leaving if they never see their parents living it out? What faith are they leaving if they only go to church once every couple of months, if they never see their parents um, sharing the gospel with someone, if they never see their parents praying together or, you know, reading the Bible. I we you to encourage and be that example. Something you can start now by growing in that, to be ready for when you are a parent. Let's talk about slaves. Now, this is... Uh, controversial and a, and a tricky topic. Uh, at the time, people were um, oppressed and, and, and people were treated as property. Uh, and that was the cultural reality at the time. Uh, but Paul still wants to speak into slaves and masters, speak into that situation. And by doing that, uh, Paul actually subtly undermines the to institution of slavery. Because he does three things. The first thing, he actually addresses slaves. This group who have no legal standing, of no uh, cultural uh, or social identity, Paul calls them out and speaks specifically to them. He also uh, treats them as moral decision makers. These are people with a soul who can choose to do what is right and wrong. He he encourages them to do what is right. He treats them like human beings. And third, he addresses them first before masters. Most writers at the time uh, wrote to households and and shared how to get the most out of your slave, how to get them, you know, get the most efficient. We'll talk, share an example about that soon. But Paul doesn't do that. His goal is not that people get the most out of their slaves, but that he'd see transformed relationships, transformed by the gospel. And so Paul Says as someone who's died to Christ, raised with him, putting off the old, putting on the new. Obey your masters in everything. Not for eye service, not only when you can be seen. You know, it's not like these people who would put on their resume works well under constant supervision. Don't write that on your resume, it's not a good line. (laughs) It's not for not to be a people pleaser and only work so that you can gain favor from. From your master and avoid punishment and get in their good books, but with sincerity of heart, sincerely, with a desire to be a blessing to that household. And the reason is, it's because they have a higher calling. They do it and they serve as they would serve the Lord. And Paul says there is a reward and a warning. The reward is, is and imagine imagine yourself in this situation um, of a first century slave. So a person who has no, uh, no sense of identity, uh, that socially and culturally they're considered as a nobody. Um, they're you know effectively pro- someone's property and which can be used and abused for whatever. And for Paul to say to them that you have an inheritance, that you are a child of. Of God, and that God has for you a place for you. He has for you a seat at His table. He has for you a, a promise of eternal life, of peace and love, and and uh, being part of His family forever. That is the reward, and of course, because they serve King Jesus, and of course, the the, the warning is. Just because you're in that oppressed situation, that doesn't excuse bad behavior. If you do wrong, you will be be repaid for the wrong that you do. There is no favoritism. No one is exempt uh, from that. So let's talk about masters. Now, like I said before, most most writers at the time wrote to see how much they could get out of their slaves. Uh, For example, uh, Xenophon, writing to Socrates, said this. Is it not the case that they can control any inclination towards lechery by starving them and stop them from stealing by locking up uh, the places from which they might take things? Prevent them from running away by putting them in chains? Force the laziness out of them with beatings? That's the normal kind of writing at the time of how masters might get the most out of their slaves. Uh, Aristotle himself, Aristotle uh, said there is no sense of justice between a slave and a master. That's irrelevant, because the slave is the property of the master. But Paul says that the masters aren't the ones to set the standards; that they're to treat their slaves fairly and justly. They're to care for them. They're to do what's right by them, because they are accountable to their own master, to God. So as one transformed by the gospel, they treat their slaves fairly and justly and and do what's right by them. No one is exempt from accountability. And so that's that's the household of the first century Roman Empire. Uh, And that's what Paul speaks into and, and shows examples of a life transformed by the gospel, of relationships transformed by the gospel. Of course, Households today look very different. We, you know, we've got wives and husbands and uh, parents and children. Uh, well, there is slavery today, but that is a horrible atrocity that needs to end. But there's other households. There's housemates. There's friendships. There's um, employees and employers. There's dating, boyfriend girlfriends. Uh, what about those kind of relationships? Well, let's work through them. Employees and students... How how do we uh, how does the gospel change the way we relate as as someone who's employed and works for someone? Well, same principle. Someone who's died to self, they're, they've been raised with Christ. They put off the old, they put on the new, and they work in their job as if they were working for the Lord. Uh, they work to be a blessing to their workplace, to the world around them. They don't work for eye service or just to curry favor or to get in the good books of their boss or to um, you know, get that promotion or get paid more or get more recognition and status. But they'll work sincerely, honorably, with integrity. Christians should be the, the best workers, right? If you're if you a shelf stacker, if you stack shelves, stack the best shelves in Australia, right? If you're a builder... Build the most magnificent creations. If you're a lawyer, fight for justice and fairness. If you're a nurse or a doctor or or an allied health professional, care deeply about those you're seeing, your patients. If you're an artist, tell a compelling story through beauty. If you're a student, learn, discover the world that God has placed you in. Work as if uh, you're working for the Lord. Employers, which might be some of you, it might not, but uh, employers, when you get to that position where you you actually have responsibility of other people under you. Um, as As someone who's a Christian employer who's died to self and alive in Christ, they put off the old, they put on the new, treat your employees fairly and justly. Uh, don't take advantage of them. You know, I saw, I read um, in New South Wales this week, uh, there's a whole heap of farmers who are in a lot of trouble because they've been paying immigrants uh, $3 an hour uh, to work on their farms and it's really taking advantage of them. And it's pretty, pretty unfair and pretty horrible for them. But it's actually, it's actually systemic from this attitude within business of doing uh whatever we can to get the most out of our employees. And so really pushing the boundaries and paying them as little as possible and doing as, as, getting as much as we can out of them and really just serving and fighting for that bottom line to, to get maximum return to shareholders, to get as much profit as we can at the expense of those who work for us. But that's, that's not someone transformed by the gospel. Um, Let me tell you a story about one of my managers who was a Christian. I um, I used to work for an engineering firm, um, and uh, I was made redundant, but then they brought me back on as a casual. And when they did that, they actually paid me really, really badly, less than what I was on um, in my first year as an engineer. And if you think about casual rates, it's meant to be about 25% more, and so it was particularly bad. Uh, But initially it was fine because I was doing this pretty menial job but then I, I kept on increasing in responsibility and started doing more. And it got to the point that it wasn't appropriate how little they were paying me. And so I went and talked to my manager about it. And, and he, um, he fought hard to get me that pay rise, to, to, that the company would pay me appropriately. And at the, at the risk of his own job, because his role at the time was to minimise cost. Uh, but here he was asking for one of his employees to be paid more, to increase cost. And when I talked to him afterwards, I, I thanked him very much because, you know, he got me a pay rise. And he said, Nick, this is your livelihood, and it's important to you, so it's important to me. And that was, that's a life uh, transformed by the gospel. That's a manager transformed by the gospel. He didn't seek to get as much out of me as an employee as possible, but he sought to seek my needs first. He treated me fairly and justly, a great example of a, of a life transformed by the gospel. Let's talk about friendship. Friendships. We we all have friends here, and this is um uh this is something that society you know we we love spending time with friends and doing stuff together and and getting around each other. And uh, as someone transformed by the gospel, died to self, alive in Christ, putting off the old, putting on the new. You know, instead of thinking how can I get the most out of my friendship friendships, or, or which friends could I have that would you know make me the most popular, or I'd be able to get the most out of, or I'd be the most seen. Instead of that, it's thinking, how could I be a blessing to those friends? How could I be a blessing to those who don't have friends? Especially now, especially this year. You know, loneliness and, and isolation and, and um, all of that has always been a problem, but it's become much more obvious this year because how we've been socially isolating. And so now, more than ever, but really we should always be like this, reaching out, calling people up, asking, how are you going? And being ready to listen to whatever comes. Being vulnerable and real with each other, but without judgment. I think particularly uh, we need to get around single people. The church is not, like, historically has not been very good caring for people who are single. And a lot of the time, um, we hear a lot of sermons about marriage and family and all of that, because uh, it seems like the Bible has a lot to say about marriage and family, like, like our passage tonight. But in reality, the Bible has heaps to say about how we relate to one another generally. There's all the one another verses, the all the one another passages. Uh, and I've got, I've got a list of them that I keep on in my office that I've taken here. Uh, the Bible says that we're to love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another above ourselves, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, accept one another, admonish one another, care for one another, bear with one another's burdens, forgive one another, confess to one another to comfort one another, to exhort, to encourage, to show hospitality, to to, um, use our gifts to serve, to pray for one another. All these things are ways that we can interact and to encourage and and how the gospel transforms how we relate to one another and particularly towards our friends. So why not not go through those one another's and think and pray about how you could um, show these things to one another? To he- here at church and with your friends and with your family and with, with whatever else. Let's talk about housemates. This is something that's very recent in history. Um, this weird phenomenon where you are living uh, under a roof with someone that you're not related to. You've got no relational accountability, yet you're, you're living in a home together. What does that look like? I think as, uh, what Paul would say is someone who's transformed by the gospel, dead to self, alive in Christ, putting off the old, putting on the new, he would say, be, be humble. Seek others' needs before your own. Show compassion towards one another. Treat each other with kindness. Be patient. Bear with one another. These are all characteristics of Christ that Paul uh, talks about, in, in, uh, about Christians putting on. In Colossians three. So one thing about if you're in that situation, you have housemates, how could you grow in those areas? Being humble, being patient, being kind, being compassionate. Let's talk about dating. This is the one I was really looking forward to. Not really, because I don't have very much dating experience. <laughs> Dated one girl in my life. And I'm now married to her. So maybe I'm really good at dating. But. <laughs> <laughs> but let's not take my advice. Let's uh, consider um, what the Bible has to say. And it's not obvious, because the Bible doesn't speak directly about dating. But it does uh, have wisdom for us. And our society puts... A lot of emphasis on dating relationships. You see it in media, on on movies and TV. It's you know, and 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 the tabloids. Every tabloid seems to be assessed with who celebrities are dating at the moment, who they're living with, who they're sleeping with, who they're who they're broken up with. And uh, it's it's easy in our society to get wrapped up of, of defining ourselves based on who we're with, whether that's someone we date or or friends or whatever. But For someone transformed by the gospel, we're not defined by who we are dating. We're defined by the one who died for us and made us alive, and that we're a child of God. And so I've got three things to say about dating. The first thing is build your own foundation. Be clear about who you are as a child of God. And if you need to be single for a while to do that, to establish yourself, that's a good thing. It's better to be single than in a relationship you're not ready for. The next thing is to be discerning. What does society tell us to look for in a partner, in in a boyfriend or girlfriend? I googled it. (laughs) Had a lot of fun. A little bit scary. Um, uh, apparently um, guys and girls look for people who are fun, who are physical, good looking, tall, apparently is really important, um, uh, confidence, a smooth talker, <laughs> which I'm not. <laughs> you now all those things are, are really subtle other ways of talking about some of the put off list, what we're meant to put off. And there's a lot of qualities that we look for in people we might want to date don't actually serve us in marriage, in, in when we might actually move to another level of relationship with them. And so dating is, you know, as we spend time with someone, as we uh, have fun with them, as we do stuff and we get to know them, it's about discerning, is this somebody I would marry? That I might commit myself to? Is this someone I could commit to love? To loving him. Commit to love for the rest of my life. Is this uh, someone who I would, who, who I could submit to? Dating is about discernment. Um, it's not to say that you know don't have fun and it's not is super serious. Like absolutely have fun. But if if you're dating someone that you don't, you can't see yourself marrying. Why are you in that relationship? Why can't you just have fun with them as a friend? And. Something else to remember is that dating is not marriage. I cannot be clear clear enough on this. Dating is not marriage. You are allowed to break up. You're allowed to break up. Uh, You you haven't entered into a covenant. Uh, Both Jesus and Paul the Apostle said that it's better to be single uh, than to be in in a relationship married to the wrong person. And if you are to break up or, or in that kind of space, be clear. Clarity is a kindness. Just talk about it. And so, um, you know, what should we look for in someone in who we might date? Well, I would say stay away from the put-off list. Stay away from that. Look for the put-on list. Uh, Don't look for what you want in a boyfriend. Look for what you want in a husband. Don't look for what you want in a girlfriend. Look for what you want in a wife. You know, a husband who will love you. Who will love you? What does that look like? Well, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It does not, it's not arrogant or rude or self sinking. It's not angry. It quickly forgives. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. Uh, for men, look for a wife who's humble. Patient, doesn't grumble, like, it's, like like Jesus is in Philippians 2. Someone trustworthy, modest, peaceful, compassionate, committed to Jesus. So for, for the guys and girls in the room who want to become more desirable, more fitting as a girlfriend or boyfriend, I'd say put off their old self, put on the character of Christ. Look at that list. How can you grow? And in the partner you might seek, look at that list. How could you grow? How could they grow? Uh, now, the last thing uh, for dating is be a good friend. Right? Um, you know, be intentional, but don't be intense. You know, remember, you're not married. Like, it's have fun. And it's it's good to have fun because. You know, it's a good way to discern. Is this someone I could have fun with the rest of my life? Having fun and doing cool stuff is an important part of marriage, of that relationship. And everything I said about being a good friend, all those one another's, you can apply to your boyfriend and girlfriend. You know, love them, encourage them, um, pray for them, forgive them. And the last one, bonus one, be ready to pop the question. (laughs) And what I mean by that, what I mean by that is um, if, if you're in a position, and, like a lot of people delay getting married because they just want to wait till they're ready or everything's lined up or if they're financially secure or whatever. But if, if, you, if you've discerned that this person is someone you could commit the rest of your life to and, and, and you've talked about it and it seems you're both in that same position, what's Stopping you from getting married? There are a lot of good things to stop you from getting married, but uh, I wonder if, if we make too big a thing of marriage that we put it off so much. Or maybe we put, make too little of marriage. And the flip side of that, of course, if you need to break, break up, you can break up. You're not married yet. It's better to be single than in a relationship with the wrong person but be clear and be kind and be loving. So let's um, wrap up. As someone transformed by the gospel, you know, how should we date? Build our own foundation, be discerning, be a good friend. And of course, the thing to remember is Jesus is the foundation of every good relationship, of friendship, of dating, of marriage, of, of whatever, housemates. And dating dating is for discernment, and engagement is for preparation, and marriage is for mission, being on mission uh, together, chasing after Jesus. And do you know what? You don't have to be married to be on mission for Jesus. You can do that. You can chase after Jesus. You can grow. You can be a blessing to those around you. You can build your foundation, your identity in Jesus. Let the gospel transform you and transform how you relate to those around you. So whether it's just you, or whether it's you and, a, and your cat and and dog, or whether it's you and your family, or you and a few housemates, what makes a good household? It's the gospel. It's the gospel transforming how you relate to those around you. When I... um. When we were leaving our um, old place, uh, we were saying goodbye to our next-door neighbor. And, and she, she said to Emily and I, my wife and I, um, you guys are the most beautiful family. You're so generous. You're so kind. Uh, how you care for one another. How you, how you parent Josh. How you, you're so generous with your time. And, and she really complimented us. And, and I was reflecting on that. What she saw wasn't Emily and I. What she saw was the reality of the gospel. That we've died to ourselves and we've put on Christ. And Christ has transformed how we relate to one another. And it's a reflection of the gospel. Paul talks about baptism in Colossians quite a bit. And baptism is a sign that that reflects the reality of the gospel. And it's quite vivid. You know, you're, you're buried with Christ in baptism, submerged under the water. Your old self is washed and clean. And you're raised with him in his resurrection, It's a powerful symbol of the reality of the gospel in in you. How we relate to one another is a powerful symbol of the reality of the gospel. As we put off our our selfishness and our self-seeking and anger and bitterness, and we put on compassion and love and kindness and the character of Christ, it reflects the gospel. And so I don't know what you what you're thinking right now and the relationships you have uh, your household because relationships are messy they're hard they take a lot of work and what I want to do I want to do something a bit different and interactive to finish up tonight Uh, under your seat everyone should have a post-it note you may have seen it before and wondered what that's for I've got one here And, and you might think of a relationship you want to see transformed by the gospel, a relationship you might be struggling in, or there's a lot of conflict, or uh, there's challenges, or and you want to see transformation. And what I want us to do is, I want, I want you to write that relationship on the post-it. You don't need to include names. Names are, it's just between you and God, it might be a friend or a parent or a family member or Boss, employee, spouse, for some of us. You want to see God transform that relationship to reflect the gospel. And that transformation happens in you, in me. It's not something to impose on the other person. And, you know, as as long as they change and they'll get it right, then this relationship improves. No, God will transform you, change your heart, Change your character. And so the band's going to come up um, uh, and play a song uh, at the cross, actually. And as they're playing and as we're singing, uh, take some time. I want everyone to do this. Write on uh, the post a relationship you want to see transformed by the gospel and come and stick it on the cross as an act of praying that God would transform you. And we've got John up here, and I might ask Debbie if she's right as well. Um, And I'll be here. If you want specific prayer for a specific situation, for a specific relationship, we'd love to pray for you in that. So we'll be here. Um, uh, So let's wrap up, and I'll pray, and then the band will play, and we can do this. Also, for the people in the other room, uh, there's the whiteboard, and you'd probably figure it out, and post-it notes, and you can do it too. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the reality of the gospel, that even though we were broken and we're hurt and, and relationships are messy, we're really bad at, at relating with other people. Even, even, because, even though that's, we're so far from you, you loved us enough to take away all of that brokenness, all of that hurt, all, that, all of our guilt, and put it to death. And make us a new creation. Give us new life through Jesus. God, we pray uh, for the relationships that we're about to write down on, this, on these post notes. We pray for all of our, our relationships. That it will be transformed by the gospel. That we would see uh, how we relate to each other change. That we'd be compassionate and loving and kind and, and, um, and pure. God, we pray that you would transform us and that would be a reflection of how you love us. We do this so you would be glorified, so that you would be known, you would be honoured above all. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.